Throughout this journey of life, we all come across a lot of obstacles and battles. Training our state of mind to stay positive, motivated, and inspired to come out on top is the most important task of all. Buckle up, knuckle down, get ready for the grind, and go on and make your dreams come true. Interviews with professionals and how they find motivation, build confidence, and share their stories that can help you on your journey to create your roadmap for success and becoming the best version of yourself. You can win at life. You're winning at life. Get ready to start winning at life. Yeah, let's go. Uh, happy to have you guys here with us today, and I hope that wherever you're tuning in with us today, that you're just having a you know a good day so far, and that, or if your day's just starting, that it's going to be a good day, and that when you're listening to this, you just kind of be open-minded and maybe self-aware. Maybe there's some things here that we've talked about that you're struggling with right now, and can just think of things of of ways to overcome those things but today was a today's episode it was supposed to be just about resiliency but as caleb and i uh or the co-host caleb and i got on and started talking and, and recording this episode it turned into a lot of different things it turned a lot of different things that that coincide with resiliency in itself but maybe things that are falling out of resiliency or, or maybe not practice, not actually upholding resiliency during those tough times that you actually give in. And there's just a bits and pieces throughout the whole, the whole episode today that I decided to retain instead of cropping out. And um, I just think there was a lot of value, a lot of value in it. And I, I really hope that those that are tuning in with us today just can see that and, and, and hear it and are able to identify that in their day-to-day life and, and apply it. But without any further ado, here's Caleb Bergamini with Resiliency. There's a saying I really like, and it's from Jean-Pierre, uh, I can never pronounce his last name, but he's a, he's a French kind of writer and author, but he says that every act, every word in life has a consequence. Mm-hmm. Also, every silence. You know, it's like the things that you say that can make or break your career. It can make or break your relationship. It can make or break your own mental, uh, your mental views and your health. But then also everything you don't say. I mean, because there have been relationships ended on words that were said. There's been relationships ended on words that were never said. Mm-hmm. You know, and you just think about end of the day, what could I potentially stand to gain from this? And yeah. you what against the potential loss. And if the potential gain is greater, all day long I'm taking that chance. You know, why not? Mm-hmm. What, what what would life be if we didn't? Right. I think I think words in themselves are very undervalued. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, this is how we communicate. This is just, you know, this is just how life is. But I was literally just having a conversation with Kessie and I was like, what got me a second date? And she said, because you said, don't ghost me. (laughs) I was like, yeah, that's what she said. So I was like, so like after you saying that, it kind of like in my head is like, you're right. I mean, words are actions like in in themselves. I mean, they may not be physically uh, or like kind of tangible in that nature, but like 
they are actions and people resonate and think over words that you say and the conversations that you had. And sometimes like I catch myself being super, I want to say tunnel vision by saying like, I'm the only one experiencing life, you know, mm-hmm. but it's like everything I do is causing other, other people to experience life differently. Like words, they carry a lot of weight, but at the same time, I think you have to be in the right position to receive that. And so uh, a really good example I, I can give on this is kind of the thought that I had was I was talking with someone the other day, not in the business, but just about rejection. This, you know, I was talking about you know, how do I process it? Because their their quote to me was, "You always seem incredibly positive even when days go wrong." Like, do you have bad days? I said, "Of course, I have bad days. Absolutely, we all do." But I get to decide if it's a bad day or a bad life, a bad hour or a bad week, and you know, always having that consistent thought of gratitude. And like we t- I talked about last um, uh, two nights ago, just kind of mm-hmm. closing the week out with that meditation and gratitude. But <clears throat> they said, well, how do you manage that? Because in your career, like I know it, what you do, you face a lot of rejection. And that rejection could come in the form of client. It could be a business partner or just in life and a relationship or really anything. And um, I said, quite honestly, I just don't assign anything to it. And they asked me what I meant by that. And I said, well, let me give you an example. Do you speak Hindi? And they said, no, I don't. I said, okay, well, if I sat here and just immediately started talking Hindi, and I said the most mean, most hateful, most horrible things to you right now, and you didn't understand me, would you be bothered by it? Or would you just be kind of listening to me speak Hindi? And they <laughs> yeah, said, well, I wouldn't be bothered by it at all because I wouldn't understand. I said, so really what was it? What was the words I said? Or was it the weight you assigned to them? And they're like, oh, it kind of clicks, right? Now, that doesn't mean my intentions may have been mean, Right. And I understand if you if you can comprehend the language, you would you might take some offense because of the intent behind it. But at the end of the day, you're the one who gets to decide how much that affects you. And so a lot of people, what they try to do, I think, when they when they have mean things spoken or the weight of words that hits them hard <clears throat> is for some reason they choose to lean into the words as opposed to distance themselves from the person. Yeah. And for me, like if someone is going to be extremely negative, hurtful, mean or whatever. I don't lean into the words because that's me choosing pain. That's me choosing to assign value to something that they meant. But if that, a person is going to treat me that way or say negative things or be discouraging or, or hurtful or mean, why in the world would I want to assign value to what they say when they just show me who they are as a person? I distance myself from that relationship before I assign value to their words in my life. Does that make sense? No, it definitely makes sense. At the, yeah. But also kind of adding on to that, I feel like people that, try to hurt you have other like things eternally that they need to deal with before you need. So kind of like just knowing that aspect, because I've never had an instance where it's like, I've been like, been like malicious in the intent behind, you know, trying to be hurtful to me in, in this, in this opportunity that we have here. The way I deal with rejection is knowing the value, just like I would deal with, uh, you know, just having confidence in myself and who, who I am, what I bring to the table and any sort of, you know, aspect of my life knowing that hey maybe this isn't for you or maybe you don't see the value and you choose not to see the value if that's the case i don't want to work with you in the first place yeah it's not like at this point like i am a service but i understand the value that i have that's like you know and in the relationship and like i what i've realized in this company and being in this you know career is that it's all about relationships and just because you have a business relationship doesn't make it any different than any other relationship there should be respect involved involved you should value yourself and what you do and if you can't value yourself and what you do then you're going to be a victim 
uh, rather than being like in control. And that goes back to something we say a lot as far as like, you know, we work in the financial industry, we're in the people business yeah. to where what we do is still people based. And I think everything in life, all your careers, your relationships, everything is involving people. Mm-hmm. And so the point of the matter is, do you focus on the relationship or do you focus on the like criteria that the condition in which the relationship focuses? And so I know that when we talk about, you know, our team, what makes us so effective is the fact that we still focus on what we're here to do as a company. But we start first and foremost with what we're here to do as people for one another and with one another. And that builds on out. And um, you talk about assigning value to what you do. One of the best ways to avoid that pain of rejection, that the pain of being turned down is by just putting in perspective. And so we've had this training of ours, like, you know, if someone says no to you, what right does their no trump someone else's yes? But I think a huge thing that helps me when it comes to rejection, whether it be in this business or relationships, is knowing that what I bring to the table as you say, has a tremendous amount of value. And I don't mean that from an arrogant standpoint, but no, I mean, not at all. Like all of us here as people, we have value. We have insights, we have thoughts, we have feelings, we have things that we can bring to other people's lives to create a better life for them and for ourselves. And because of that, like there is a value there. But what I focus on is whether it's a relationship, whether it's this business, whether it's anything in life, you know, if that falls apart, both people lose something. Both people lose something, but I think it's up to those people to determine what the other one loses. What I mean by that is if I'm in a relationship with somebody, let's say like a a girlfriend, I'm bringing things to the table. If that relationship falls apart, what she loses is determined by me in what I choose to bring to the table as far as value. The more valuable I come as a man, the more into the emotions, the more into I am with her, like, the more things I bring to the table, the more she stands to lose. And so for me, like my mentality has always been, there's always that risk of loss. And so you shouldn't be afraid of that. But in the event of that loss, in the event of that separation, I want to know that I have worked myself to the point to where she loses me I lose time. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. That doesn't mean I'm not going to be sad. She's in, like, to be in a relationship with a girl, there's, there's going to be amazing things about it that I would never, ever want to lose. You know, otherwise I wouldn't be in a relationship with her. Same thing with the business partner. Like, there's going to be things that they bring to the table that I want to be in my life. But I also want to know that I'm the type of person I work to become the type of person that no matter who it is, if they leave, they're suffering the biggest loss. And I don't think that's a selfish standpoint because it means I have to work and I have to become a person that is a bigger loss to them. Not automatically I am because I'm Caleb. No, you have to become a person that losing you is more impactful than you losing them. And that takes a tremendous amount of personal development and only pushes you up. And so it's almost like a, uh, it's like a catch 22 because you can't, you can't be arrogant if the only way it happens is for you truly becoming a person that who's worth that much, does that make sense? What I'm trying to say? No. Yeah, it does. Because it's not the relationship itself that it's centered around. It's what you bring to the relationship, whether that be how you see yourself or what you're building outside of the relationship that you bring to the table. And I was, you know, me and Kessie were kind of like over that topic a little bit earlier today about that kind of instance. You know, I said, we were talking about, she asked me what was the most important thing in a relationship. And I said, self-love. Mm. And I said, and she's like, why? And I was like, well, you've heard that saying two halves make a whole, right? Well, if the 
if the half isn't full, does it make a hole? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like what I was, where I was at. Like, and then we, yeah, we got into a pretty good discussion about self-worth. And it's like, if you don't see, if you only see yourself at 80%, well, if someone gives you 80%, then you're going to recognize it as a hundred because mm-hmm. from your perspective. Right. But you're, you're just 20, 20% missing that maybe you're not really at the point now because of whether where, where you're at in your mental, your mental development or your, you know, your personal development, where you're at, you just don't recognize that 20% yet because you haven't found that worth or came across something that actually gives you that 20%. So to recognize that it was missing in the first place. I like that. I got chills on that one. Like I've never, <laughs> never thought about that. I mean, I've, I've heard it goes back to identity and obviously we've talked a lot about that, you know, the thermostat and, you know, but I've, I've never really thought about it that way. And when, when you said that, it kind of struck a thought with me obviously there's so many things that make a relationship like happen so many things that play into it. But I think self-love is one that is tremendously downplayed just because people hear self-love and they think that's selfish or self-obsessed, self-conceited. I think that you can like love who you are. And I think that you can be in touch with who you are and still be the most selfless person on the planet because if you think about it, if you're only loving yourself at 80%, it means you cannot love others with 100% of who you are. Right. You can't do for others with 100% of who you are. And in a relationship, you know, there's give and there's take. A lot of people think, oh, it has to be equal. And you want equity, right? You, know, like, you want like equity, not necessarily equality, because there's times where like, you might be down and you require more attention than she might in that moment just because of where you are. And there's going to be other times where she's really hurting and she's really suffering and struggling and you need to give more to her than she's able to give you in that moment. But if you're only loving yourself at 80%, if you're only 80% of like who you are and who you could be as a person, what that means is you are constantly going to have a 20% deficit that she's got to pour into you. Because let's say she's at 100, you're at 80. It means even on the best of days, she has got to pour 20% more into you then she, then you can pour into her. Mm-hmm. And then, so when you start suffering, you drop down to 60. Well, now it's 40%. She's got to give you that you can't give back to her. Mm-hmm. And what's worse is even on your best of days, there's still going to be a 20% deficit in her life. Right. And so when you think about it, like personal development, becoming a better, stronger person, becoming a more valuable person. Um, that's actually one of the truest forms of love because as you reach more and more of who you could be, who you were created to be, what you're able to do for others increases. And I don't want to like make the, I don't want people to be confused and hear, oh, you become more valuable. Like there's an inherent value just for being who you are as a human. Like as a person, you are inherently valuable to a certain degree. But I think we all can agree that different people have been more impactful in our lives than other people have been. And so as a human, you have like a base value. You have rights, you have things that just matter about you. But then I think it's up to you to determine how much more valuable you could be to somebody. And that's where it comes back to like the identity and what you're talking about there. I like that that conversation with Kelsey. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty, uh, it's pretty fruitful. Um, she, uh, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was, it was all like all together, just a, a great conversation that we got to have and kind of just hash it out. We've been doing this app, this dating app. It's called a gap, agape, <laughs> and we'll okay. take turns like picking the question of the day, 
and then we'll like answer it. Like today was um, what was the your like thoughts on your first kiss and like your um, what stood out to you? Like kind of like set, like thought provoking questions that you can like ask and take time. I really like it because I was literally about to ask you that ask you where did this conversation start? Because that's something that as I've gotten older, I've appreciated more and more. And I think that relationships would be a whole lot better off in the beginning if they were started with meaningful questions. Mm-hmm. You know, not necessarily invasive questions, but instead of asking what's your favorite color, what's your favorite food, asking things like, hey, what's one of those memorable moments in your life and why? Yeah. Who's the very thoughtful person? What do you value in a relationship? Because those questions right there, like those are the questions we all really want to know. Everybody hates the first date because the first date feels like you've never you, you, you've never met before, which is true. But what if you make a first date more impactful to like want to lead to a second one? Not because, you know, oh, we're, uh, you're just the most amazing person on the planet, but because you focused on asking more intentional questions that showed them more of who you are and who they are. Yeah. Like, I think that'd be awesome. That's, I like, I agree with you, the, the outcome of that. I think there's a transition period that has to come into play though, because I was not as comfortable as I am, you know, starting out. Like where I am now with me, like where Kessie and I are at now was not that comfortable at the beginning to open up like yeah. that. I was very guarded. I was pretty private, but at the same time, like I, after I've undergo, after I've undergone this whole process of personal development, continuing to understand my own worth and like how I value myself. And that leads to us having fruitful conversations where we can go into depth about things that make us, how we feel a certain way or what we look for in the future. Like last, last night, the question that I picked was where do you see us in 10 years? Hmm. And it was like, gonna, it, went to, it went into depth on that. So like we got a chance to kind of show, like talk about where we want to be financially, um, impactfully, like, uh, you know, what were you kind of generating like kids, stuff like that. And I mean, that seems pretty early to th- kind of think about, but I was also talking to her today. I was like, do you look around at people and do you see, Cause in this book, this is kind of, you know, we were supposed to be going over resiliency today, but, uh, but yeah, I got to pick my parents up at the airport at nine 40 or 10 o'clock ish. So my time. So we'll just kind of scratch it and just kind of like go off of this and, and I'll make up a name, <laughs> a title to the podcast. But when I was talking to her, I was like, when you look at people, do you detach themselves from what they do and how you know them? And what I mean by that is that a lot of people attach their like who they are to what they do. Mm-hmm. So if you ever look at someone, you kind of detach them. Like, what if I didn't like, and I was doing this a lot today because we were talking about people getting out, you know, retiring and so on. And I was looking around, I was like, what would you look like outside of there? You know, outside of the military, mm-hmm. who would you be when you're not attaching yourself to something bigger when it's just you? Who would you be? And that's like, I think that was something that I'd never really looked at before. Never really paid any attention to. But now that I see that, I was like, can I attach, detach someone from how that I met them and who they kind of associate themselves to be? If I detach them from that, do I see them being someone that I want to be? And if, if not, then maybe I don't need to be emulating or kind of like tracking or being like in a group of this person. I think that goes back to what I mentioned a moment ago at the very beginning of this conversation regarding like my time in scouts, but also with this company. There were people that 
I looked up and I wanted to be where they were in life as far as a position of like a, not authority, but in a position to where you could make more of an impact because you had a platform based upon your position in an organization or a company. Like you reach a certain level to where that position itself or that career, that company that comes with a certain level of impact you have just from the platform you're given. Mm-hmm. So going back to the Eagles, Eagles got analogy. There were some like star life and Eagles there that poured into me tremendously. And I loved every single time with them made a huge impact. There were others that were just kind of like, not that quality. You can tell they did the work, but they didn't really embody what it meant to be in that position. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So for me, I never, like, I looked at the position as a platform and I wanted to be in that position, but I didn't want to be that person. Kind of like with this company as well. I look at a lot of the men and women who are like the field chairman, executive chairman. Some of them embody everything I want to be. Others don't. But I take what I like. I leave what I don't. I want to become the person in that position so I can fix what those other people I didn't like did. And I can be for others who I needed them to, who I needed someone to be for me in that moment. Does that, that does that make sense as far as that clarity? I think there's a really good distinction that you can still want to be in that position, but just not be that person in that position. No, yeah, that's definitely I definitely can understand because I mean you're entitled to your own perception, yeah. and you know like you will an attitude is something external, right? Yeah. That's what you show people. This is how I handle things. This is who I am. This are my like kind of morals. This is what I stand for your personality, or yeah. So that's your attitude. Your personality is much deeper than that. That's something that doesn't change easily. If it does change, it's because you were doing small behaviors over a period of time that kind of reflected this different, this different foundation in you. Yeah. Um, but how you are received is completely different. That's, that's perception. That's how your attitude is kind of seen to other people. So yeah, like you can be in those positions where you're of this, have this leadership, this sort of impactful influence on others. And it really does like you get really put underneath a microscope because your little things that you do, what you, what's important to you, how you carry yourself, get put onto a microscope and people see that it's a different look from the bottom than it is when you're up there at the top. And uh, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting, but you can't really kind of, you can't, you can't think too far into that because I think that just kind of like would untether you. I think you're right. You know, and you're hundred percent correct in the fact that when you get into a position of leadership, um, you are under more scrutiny because what you do now, more and more people are looking up to you because you're now in a position to where people want to get to where you are. And if you're in a position other people are trying to obtain, more eyes are on you by default. And will there be some that have different viewpoints and have they'll look at one thing you do and they'll take it one way, someone else takes it another way? You're right. But that goes back to what we talk about like in, in these standards for endurance. Perfection is not required because no one's perfect. I can do one thing and one person view it as completely correct. Other person will always have something negative to say about mm-hmm. it perfect intention follow through is and that's what we talk about setting the exemplary standard you know at the very least be intentional about what you're trying to do understand people are watching and do your very best to believe the best impact possible but um i think when it gets to that position it goes back to what ed Milet said i sent you that uh, i don't know i shared this with you a few days ago 
you know, one of the things that you really, really have to be mindful for in your journey in life are your habits, building very intentional habits about who you are as a person. And so I'm not talking about, oh, every day I go to the gym, every day I brush my teeth in the morning. Like I'm talking about habits as far as how do you handle hardship? How do you handle difficulty? How does that self-talk work? When you find yourself going down that negative path, what's your method to get out of it and focus on the gratitude and the good in life? Yeah. Because when things go awry, when life gets hard, you revert back to your habits because your habits are what's comfortable to you. And so do you set those habits in a way that's going to benefit you in the future? Or do you just let them go? Like when you, you shared with me the other day, hey, one of the most key features in successful people is they prepare for hard times while they're in good times. Mm-hmm. If you want peace, prepare for war. Successful men and women in life, in relationships, in business, they prepare for the tough times they pour into personal development and the difficult moments are in, in, the, in the good, they prepare for all those things while things are amazing. Because as you heard Trey Burstum talk about, you know, as a very, very wise man, he said, you're either in life, you're either in a storm coming out of it or going into it. Mm-hmm. And so always making sure you pour into that. I think it's a big piece of what you're talking about, becoming the person who can handle those things and be a good example back to others. Well, it's like, we are all going to, we all are going to face some sort of hardship, tragedy, that is just how life works. It's a process. It is a cycle of life and death is all a part of it, whether it's who you were and who you are now or some loved one that you, that you had, you know, you know, uh, a deep relationship with that they pass um, mm-hmm. turmoil markets, recessions. And it's all about preparing for those moments when you know that you'll be tested mm-hmm. and that you're battle hardened and ready to go and that you can handle that storm and weather it. That's where you get put ahead in life. That's it's not it's not excelling in the good times that puts you ahead, but it's sustaining yourself during the bad times. And I think that's really where it comes down to, and that's where that's where you sets that's where it sets people apart. I was actually talking talking to a client that I, that I worked with today, and I was like, you know, people act like you know rich people just kind of fell there, but in my in my personal experience and what I've seen so far is that. It's not that they just get placed there, but it's they understand that bad times come. Let's capitalize on it. And it's not that winning in the bad times is what they strive for, but it's like not losing. Not losing the bad time is what kind of puts them ahead. And mm-hmm. yeah, like you were mentioning, and basically I talked about this with the China thing happening, uh, you know, politically. I try not to you say it too political, but uh, during drill today, you know, it's like everyone's kind of freaking out because we weren't prepared. You know, we're not prepared for uh, something like that happen, but yet they are, you know, they are ready for uh, something of that nature, this theater or this sort of version of warfare, whether it's going to be cyber attacks or, you know, taking things down by infrastructure bases of, you know, creating panic and chaos uh, by creating like extreme and immediate change. Whereas we're kind of, we feel behind, we feel insecure and, it's because we weren't prepared. We got too complacent with the good times. That's kind of going to cause us to not be able to show that resiliency through the bad times. Yeah. You made the comment. I agree hundred percent with you. It, it's when do you prepare for difficult times? A lot of people think, Oh, you know, I'll, I'll prepare for the difficult times when they come because when it's peaceful, I'll enjoy that peace. But if you look at anything in life, Take hardship out of it. Take something that people do voluntarily. Take sports. Usain Bolt, one of the most decorated, probably one of the most infamous track athletes in all of the world. 
uh, nine something gold medals, set world records. He made the comment once. He said, I trained for over 18 years to run 21 seconds. And so he talked about like wanting something so bad, becoming that person, you know, and that, that old Latin saying, prepare if you want peace, prepare for war. Not because you're focusing on difficult times, not because you want them to be there, but because, like you said, difficult times are a part of life. They're always going to be there. And you made the comment that wealthy people don't just fall into those things. They don't just become wealthy randomly. Most wealthy people, from my personal experience as well, are the ones who, when the wolves came to the door, they stood in front of it and locked it behind them, knowing that they weren't fighting because they hate the wolves. They were fighting because they loved who was behind the door that they were protecting. Mm -hmm. And Khalil Gibran, he had a really good quote that I like, but he said, the highest award, the highest reward someone can gain through difficult times is not like what he gains financially. It's who he becomes through the difficult times. That's, uh, I love that you've kind of brought that up because that's exactly it. That's those difficult times where your standards are stretched, where you're feeling that insurmountable amount of uncomfortable like being uncomfortable that's where you grow that's where you find and um jordan peterson talks about in your genetic code during stressful times things get unlocked traits get unlocked personalities get unlocked because you go through these times where it's just like oh i feel so pressed like i don't know where my next paycheck's coming i don't know how i'm going to provide for my family but then but then you build off of that Cause you go duality, right? You go so far low that you find, and as long as you keep fighting and practicing that real uh, resiliency and continue to build, that's where you freaking climb the mountaintop. That's Absolutely. where your wealth builds and, and doubles and triples because you went without, but still continue to act to, to strive forward through those oh, times absolutely. that kind of push you under. You know, I think so many people in life, they make the mistake when dark times come, they make the mistake of thinking they've been buried. Mm -hmm. uh, when dark times come, you've been planted. Yes. Oh, love that. The seed has the to storm. go into darkness in order to grow. And has to say they're alone. As to say they're alone when it gets rained on, it's dark, it's cold. But that is the only thing that forces growth. Seeds in a bag will lay dormant for years. But when they're planted in that place of darkness, in that place of where they have to grow, that's when they really become who they're meant to be. And if I think if you look at most things in life, look at some of the most valuable things on this planet, some of the most, uh, even not just valuable, most like revolutionary, world-changing creations. They say necessity is the mother of all inventions, but look at the diamond. A diamond can only be formed under intense heat and extreme pressures. That's what crystallizes the carbon to that extent and makes it most about one of the most valuable resources known to man. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, think of uh, think of gunpowder. Gunpowder is one of like the things that just are a bullet changed the course of man, changed the course for good or for bad. You know, the human history, but one of the most fast moving things on the planet that can only happen from an intense amount of pressure in a dark enclosed casing that has no other option but to shoot forward. Mm -hmm. And um, iron. Even iron, what we build massive sky rises out of, that can only be formed under insane heat. It's put into a furnace, that furnace heats it to its red, and it's taken back out, it's hammered and hammered and hammered again, is doused in cold water, it's thrown right back into the heat. And you think about that, how much different is our life? 
to where if you want to become someone greater than who you are right now, you have to go through things that you today wouldn't go through. If you want to become who you're meant to be, you have to sacrifice who you are right now. And that doesn't mean you lose who you are. That doesn't mean you lose what you're you're doing. Going back to the, are you an 80% person? Are you 100% person? The 80% person always stays with you. You just got to go through hardship to unlock the other 20%. Yeah. The last example I'll give you on this, just off the top of my head, is um, one of the best, as you know, like one of the best things that I do, there's a lot of things in life that's kind of tough to explain emotionally. And so when, I, when I'm trying to think of how to explain something difficult that you really can't emotionally touch on, I always try to find an analogy I can give that helps put a picture to a rather pictureless thing. Mm-hmm. And so personal growth and hardship, to me, I always envisioned a lobster. You know, a lobster, really weird looking creature, but if you think about this, it is very unique in the fact that its only protection is a very hard exoskeleton on the outside of its body. That's its only, it's a small creature. It doesn't have a lot of defense mechanism mechanisms. It doesn't move insanely quick, but that shell is the only thing protecting it. That shell is a part of the lobster. That is part of its physical body. But as the lobster grows, it, it eventually grows into that shell. And what ends up happening is that shell that he once saw as protection becomes a very constricting cage around its body. And if he continues to grow, he does automatically, just biologically, that shell, if not shed, will become a cage that kills him instantly mm-hmm. or over time. It's a slow and painful death. And so the lobster is faced with one of two options. I either stay where I am in this safety that has been a part of me for so long. I've become comfortable in it or complacent rather, or I shed the very thing that's been protecting me because it's the only way I can survive and I can grow. Mm-hmm. And so the lobster, when it sheds, yes, it's vulnerable, but it knows that's the only way to grow and the only way to survive. And I think humans are the exact same way because we all have our own shells, whatever way we have our own shells, but unlike a lobster, when we refuse to to shed those shells, we don't physically die. Like we don't physically die, but a lot of parts of us do. Mm -hmm. We stay trapped in those shells. And I think the greatest loss in Aaron, the greatest loss in life is not death. The greatest loss in life is what dies in you while you're still living. And I think we, so many of us, we keep those shells and we lose most of our life while we're still here. It just takes us eight years to die physically. Yep. No, I agree. Um, kind of going off that, that train of thought of refusing to change when that's how you, that's how you survive. I think a lot of it, if you just embrace change I feel like the struggle it dissipates. The struggle isn't isn't hard. It's 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 what's helped sculpt you. But if you embrace the change or, or embrace the change and the struggle that goes and the suffering that goes along with it, then you take that power away from you. And yeah. I think that will kind of put you on top during those times where like things are bad politically, emotionally. Um, you know, in your environment around you, everything seems a glum and depressing. But I think that what sets you ahead in this is understanding, not taking a victim stance, not saying mm-hmm. external things are depending, dependent on where I'm at. This is these external things. The economy is why I'm down. The, this is why I'm down. This whole uh, political scheme is why I'm down. But instead saying, okay, how is this happening for me? 
What do mm. I need to do to evolve, to adapt, to to increase my adaptability, to to still tr- strive and take those stair steps up while everyone else is falling beneath me? And that's not saying like that's a good thing that they fall, but that's like how you get weeded out. You know, yeah. natural selection in the wild is a thing because it's the strongest that survive. It's those that continually to push through and push through that res- uh, you know, during a, when they face adversity to overcome and stick to striving to survive, showing that resilience that puts them ahead. Hard yeah. winters harden the wolf, you know, like that's just how it comes down to. Yeah. So I think that's sometimes people get too comfortable in the environment that they're in, in that shell, and they let that shell enca- encapsulate them and who they are and keep them where they're at and keep them down rather shedding it and continuing to strive and, and to show that resiliency and, and face adversity face like head on instead of it letting it control them and be impacted by external things. I think you said it. I mean, just, I think you said it perfectly. You talked at the very beginning, you know, embracing that hardship. So I mean, there's this saying you've heard it a hundred times before. It's very well known. It's called like embrace the suck, but how many people truly, like it's a great slogan. It's on t-shirts and all that. How many people truly want to embrace the suck in life? Yeah. Um, Just to interject real quick. And it's like David Goggins, right? I'm pretty sure he's the one that coined that. He does some hard, hard ass shit. Like he's, he's in the Navy SEALs. He's doing all these things. It's like embracing the suck doesn't have to be physical. It can be, it can come in different shapes and forms, but mentally is what we're getting at. Like when it's like things suck, you don't want to be where you're at and you're just, yeah, make the most of it. Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, you, I love you added that in there because that's exactly where I'm going. You know, we talk about survival of the fittest. People get confused thinking, oh, you have to be big and strong. That's a lie. Like, I don't want to, like, you don't have to be the big and strongest. No, you're right. That, no one is saying that. Survival of the fittest just means whoever's wanting to do whatever it takes to survive. That's, that's really it. You know, fit mentally, fit emotionally, fit physically, fit financially. Like, what is it going to take? And when it comes back to embracing the suck, you mentioned it like, a lot of people, they just don't want to embrace it because of what might happen in it. And I think that's true. But um, the great Stoic Seneca, he had a quote. He said, people suffer, people oftentimes suffer more in imagination than they do in reality. And the best example I can give to this is, is picking something we've all been to before. At least hopefully all of us have been through. And it's, you know, the gym. I think the gym and building your physical body is one of the greatest things you can do because it requires delayed gratification, it requires consistency, it requires pain, it requires discipline, it requires patience. And there's a lot of examples in that that you can take and you can extrapolate to life. But when you think about me personally, like there's been times like, man, I really just don't want to go to the gym today because I think of this workout and I think of how tired I'm going to be. And I can just mentally, like I overstress myself. Like I really don't mm-hmm. want to do this. Yeah. But when I get in there and I step foot, I actually start. What I was thinking it was going to be is never really that bad. Right. And I think one of the biggest reasons people refuse to embrace the suck in life is because they're thinking of all the thousands of possible opportunities or the possible options and alternatives that could happen. So whether it's taking a new job, whether it's uh, breaking up with a significant other, Maybe it's taking a chance. They think all these different possibilities that could come from this. And it's, there's too many for us to fathom. Because if you have 10 options, well, once you look at 10 of those options, if you select one, there's a second option after that. And by the time you spend 15 minutes, you're a thousand decisions in out of just 10 yeah. original options. <laughs> you can't fathom that. And so what happens yeah. is it's a sense of fear. Really what it comes down to is you have 10 options 
decide what you want, where you want to go, right. dig down deep, embrace whatever suck you're going to embrace. Cause every door you go through, that's an exit to one place and entrance to another. But once you pick out of those hundreds of thousands of options, the one you pick is now the one that you're focused on. And then you get right. to the next decision and the next decision, every decision you make, it doesn't get more complicated. It actually gets easier because you're eliminating options off the table. I think that's something a lot of people, they fail to realize, and it stresses them out and it causes indecision, which ultimately causes them happiness. It costs them life. It costs them energy, even jobs and relationships. That's what I was about to kind of thread that into was indecision and uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And once you do that, you create this stagnation in you. And what happens with stagnant water? Can you drink it? Is it viable? No, you can't drink stagnated water. So when you come to those situations where you allow yourself to suffer in your imagination instead of knowing, like my favorite thing is, is I don't think I would like that. Oh, so you tell me you don't know that you don't <laughs> like that, right? Like you can't sit here and say, I don't think I like, I would, I don't like that. I was like, well, you're, I know for a fact that you don't know you don't like it. So why not try it? Like what's stopping you from trying it? And I think that if someone kind of like started taking that approach or maybe, asking themselves twice well why don't i think i or like do i know or like asking yourself being objective to yourself of the do i know i don't like it and if that answer is no then it's like well then i can't judge it appropriately right there's nothing wrong with trying something out to see if it if it vibes with you if it's if it aligns with where you want to go or who you see yourself to be and i think that's like people people (laughs) People feel like they they have to have it all figured out. People have to think like I'm still I have a version of myself that maybe I might want to be. But starting off, I didn't have that version. Starting off, I just I, I stumbled around. I was in a dark room, bumping you know in a very un unnatural place, bumping into walls until I found the light switch. And then when I yeah. turned the light switch on, I found started finding a direction. But living in a life of fear and indecision and allowing yourself to suffer in your imagination creates that stagnation, which doesn't get you anywhere, but into a loop of self-doubt and you lose that confidence in your ability at the end of the day. And that's that's what's going to keep you there ultimately. Absolutely. I think you you hit it right on the head too. Stagnation is deadly. You're either growing or you're dying. One or the other. And a lot of people, you talk about trying to have it all figured out. Me personally, I believe that if you have everything figured out in life, you're not doing life right. Because it means that you've got, you've reached a certain level, you've you've figured it all out, everything's perfect, but you've stopped pushing. And if you stop pushing, it means you've stopped becoming what you could become for yourself and for other people. And at that point, why are you here for? What are you here for? They say that they say that humans are the only ones that don't grow to their full potential. And it's well, because they have a choice. I agree. And like my mentality is if you've got it all figured out, then it means you're really not pushing for anything beyond what you can do, what you're doing right now. You've chose to cap yourself. You've chose to limit yourself. And I'm not saying that that's something that's necessarily bad. I mean, if you want to do that, that's your choice. That's your free will. I will 100% say that it's selfish. And I will 100% say that I think you're letting yourself down and those around you. Because if you can do more for others, I think that you owe it to yourself to do more for others and you owe it to them. Because like you're put here for a reason. You have gifts and talents for a reason, skill sets for a reason. And honestly, not achieving those things, not pushing to achieve those things. I think you're cheating yourself more than anyone else on this planet. I really do. I really think you are because imagine what, who you would be, how you would think the happiness you would have, the love you could give and the love you could receive 
in so many ways if you really did become everything you could become. And I don't think there's I don't think there's a true pinnacle. I think that as you grow, you become more and more of a state of learning. For me personally, like the more I've learned, the more I realize I need to learn. And so life isn't about being problem free. Life is about learning how to solve problems. I really think that's it. You know, who's more valuable? The guy who's got no issues whatsoever, the guy that's learned to solve every issue in the book or will figure it out. I mean, I would rather have the guy who can solve a problem versus the guy who was set up free and easy from the get-go and he's got nothing else going for him in life. Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you. Matthew McConaughey, uh, he summed it up the best. I saw this like in a clip. He was talking about always chasing the version of himself 10 years ahead, ascending 10 years ahead. And that's going to be a never-ending chase because there's always room for growth. There's always a higher level of being that you can be when it comes to intellect, when it comes to perspective, when it comes to you know, impact and like, you know, carrying yourself in a certain way. I think there's always going to be another level. And that's the beauty of it is that you don't really get to that end point. Like you, you that it's infinite. Like it's, it's vast. It's, it's never ending. Like you can continue to strive for that version until you put that cap on yourself until you choose to stop growing. When you plant a seed and it grows into like when, when a tree grows, it grows until it, until it can't, you know, with humans, you like you have that choice. You have that choice. Hey, I want to stop growing. Maybe you don't recognize it at first, but at the end of the day, that's what ends up happening. And it comes mm-hmm. into you chose not to. You chose not to do that. You and people. I think what what allows people to do this, what allows people to not see that they made that choice, is not taking accountability into the decisions that they that they become part of. And then mm-hmm. they, like I was mentioned prior about that victim mind victim mindset or that mentality is that they withdraw themselves from all those decisions. And they say, this happened to me because, mm-hmm. and they point to some external thing. And it's like, you weren't there for that decision. You're telling me that you couldn't go the opposite way, but yet you feared the ramifications of going that opposite way. And then that's why you're down this path right now. Mm-hmm. So, and it doesn't come down to one decision. I mean, oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> it just takes one decision. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I mean, when it comes like there's multiple decisions that you made that you could have made that one decision to go the other way. Absolutely. Um, I know I've shared this before, Aaron, but like you talk about people and they kind of have how they get in where they are, they choose to stop growing it. And really what I, I believe a lot of it comes down to perspective because all of us are in the same life. We all have fears. We all have worries. We all have joys. We all have stresses. Like realistically, all of us are in the same life. Now, those things come to us in different ways, shapes, and forms, forms yeah. but we're all looking at the exact same elephant. Mm-hmm. I could be a one, I could be behind the elephant. And when I describe that elephant to you, I'm going to describe the tail, the legs, you know, the back of the head. And that's how I'm going to view it. You could be in the front of the elephant and you might describe a face, eyelashes, tusks. And when I hear what you're saying, it's not going to make any sense to me because that's not my perspective. But is life for you, is the elephant for me any different? No, it's still an elephant. It's just our responsibility to choose where we are in proximity to that elephant to see what we want to do. It's our job to walk and turn around yeah. and move where we want to be. And I think the exact same thing goes for your perspective on life. Yeah. Because you, you talk about, you know, people dreaming and taking accountability. I really honestly do believe one of the biggest reasons people stop is because they've stopped dreaming. Mm-hmm. When you think about when we were kids, we dreamed of becoming astronauts. 
maybe dream of being princesses and the president and all these amazing things. But somewhere through the course of birth and 18 years old, some of those dreams died. Yeah. Stop believing. And I can go into why a lot of those things happen. And but like it's up to our listeners to decide. So yeah, what what is it for you? But ultimately I think I think it's incredible how we used to look up and we used to, we look up into the skies and we used to wonder about our place in the stars. Mm-hmm. But now most of us we look and we we look at the dirt and we we now we just worry about our place in the dirt. Mm-hmm. Really, we, we used to look and wonder of our place in the stars, but now we just worry about our place in the dirt. And going back to just making that difference, making that impact, you know, most of us die with the best stuff still in us, not because we want to. But I think a lot of us are just afraid to truly unreleased to tap into what we're capable of doing. Yeah. Here comes from many different directions, but when you look at it, I really do believe that's the greatest loss in life. And it's something that I would never want to experience. And you know, with you know, good Lord willing, anyone I come into proximity with, I hope that I can encourage them to live that life as well, as, as best they possibly can. I agree. Uh kind of one last thing to kind of like put that elephant in perspective. Um I was talking to Cassie and I actually use that analogy to her talking about the elephant, in different perspectives, but I think it comes down. I mean, you can even relate this to people's in, like algorithms in their, in their phone. Um, sometimes I forget that I am, I'm intentional about what I want my algorithm to show me. So mm-hmm. when I look at my stuff, it's a lot of mindset. It's a lot of self, you know, self-confidence, you know, boosting like f- philosophical things, but others people's might just be sports or hmm. if depending on, you know, if they're going through a breakup, it's probably feeding them a bunch of dis, dis, uh, depression, depressing things that just kind of continue to allow them to spiral out. And until you realize that, and then that kind of gives you a different perspective on how you carry your day-to-day life. I mean, whether we like it or not, technology is going to be showing some sort of imprint on who you are. And the algorithms have made it part of your personality. You can grab, I could grab your phone right now, Caleb. And I could look through it and I could see what kind of interests you have, who you are, what you, what kind of, what entertains you and, and and so on, just because of these algorithms. So I think if you're not thinking of your phone as an extension of yourself, then you're being manipulated and kind of like, and, and you're just going with the flow and not kind of, and uh, what's that, what's that, was it Seneca that said, no matter, uh, just, if there's no destination, no wind is favorable. Yes. Absolutely. There's no destination to win this very one. You know, as you said, closing out here, you talk about the whole purpose of the day was resiliency. And I think everything we've spoken about impacts resiliency in some way. (laughs) Yeah, it got intertwined there for sure. Like there's a lot of different concepts. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Absolutely. But you made the the, the comment that I can end on. You talk about accountability. And I think if there's anything in this world that I think it all starts, it does come down to personal accountability because without it, nothing changes without mm-hmm. saying, Hey, I am where I am because of who I am. You got to put yourself in there who I am because of who I've decided to be. You're right. Life is not made up of one moment or one decision. Can one decision change everything? Yes. But how did you reach that decision through thousands upon thousands upon thousands of others? And so for me, I've always been on the belief that I am where I am again, because of who I am and I'm who I am because that's who I've decided to be. And I've told that to several different people when we talk about things like this. And they've made the comment, well, Caleb, there's no way I would have decided to be in a position where I lose my job. Are you crazy? There's no way I would have decided to lose my relationship the way I did. You're right. But you're looking at one decision. 
you're not looking at the trail of breadcrumbs that led up to that. Because my first question back is, well, did you choose to take that job? Do you, okay, yes. Did you choose to go in that field? Yes. Did you choose to apply there? Your girlfriend, did you choose her? Your boyfriend, did you choose him? Did you choose your actions in that relationship? Both the actions you acted upon and the choice to not act upon others, the words that you did say or the words that you didn't say. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't like thinking of that because all of a sudden they realize very quickly that they are where they are because of what they decided. Yeah. But instead of looking at that from a point of, oh, this is miserable, I look at that as a point of complete and absolute power because if I can prove at some point, even if it's a month, three years down the road, back down the road, that I can decide, I can see that, hey, I'm here because of my decisions. That is the most empowering thing to me because it means that I can now choose to get myself out of this. I did have a role. It wasn't fate. It wasn't cruelty. It wasn't beyond my control. Somewhere along Yellow Brick Road, I had an impact on this. And then if I had that impact, then I can now put myself back in the driver's seat to get myself out. And you've heard me say it before, and I believe it wholeheartedly. If you don't like where you are, change it. If you don't like your job, change it. If you don't like your health, change it. If you don't like your relationships, change you first. Otherwise, you're going to bring you the next one. But everything in life changes the moment you make a decision. And the moment you start making intentional decisions, that's when everything changes. Because your direction, or your decisions determine your direction, and your direction determines your destination. Yeah. And I think um, it's not things that happen like the good things that happen to you that matter, I think it's the the external things that kind of that job loss. How did you react? Were you that's like, cool. well, oh, this is terrible. This is my life is over. Well, yeah. Now you're like, that's a terrible decision. That's a terrible position to be in because you chose to look at it that way, yeah. not as an opportunity to learn a new skill or or uh you know try try a new new trade. But love love how you close that out Caleb and I appreciate always always a joy to kind of like get you on and talk with you and and just steal some of your time um and and you know just have these philosophical conversations about some of the things that we all experience in life and just kind of put it on a putting out into the ether for whoever comes across it who enjoys the conversation who stimulates some sort of thought or maybe just like wakes them up from from the mundane things of life that maybe that they're not finding sort of fulfillment in and then they can start taking action um and just baby steps, just one Absolutely. decision, like we said. So thank you so much, Caleb. Uh, Aaron, thank you for having me on here. I love everything that you and Legion are doing. And I look forward to catching up with you soon, brother. Yes, sir. All right. Take it easy, Caleb. Just one last thing uh, that I want to ask you all is that if you're loving the content that we're doing here at Winning at Life, I would just ask that you guys show a little bit of love of maybe leaving a review or sending or sharing some of our episodes to others that maybe have spoken to you. We just really appreciate all of you as our listeners, and we always want to try to make things better for you all. So just having that feedback and finding ways that we can make improve this for, for both your, your sake and ours um, is always what we're striving for to reach more people and to, and to help in that, in that manner.